This episode of the WAN Manager Podcast is brought to you by the WAN Summit. The WAN Summit brings together buyers and providers of enterprise WAN services to identify and discuss trends in international network planning, procurement, and design. The WAN Summits cover all of the challenges, trends, and toolkits a WAN manager needs to do their job. And they're built around learning and networking. You can expect enterprise-only sessions, focused discussion groups, and no-pressure consultations between network managers and solution providers. You can join the WAN Summit in New York City on June 21st. Visit WANSummit.com for more. Welcome to another episode of the WAN Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and this is the show where we talk to networking experts about the data services that make business possible. Uh, so one of the developments in the WAN space we've been watching closely, both at Telegeography and on the show, of course, is uh, network as a service and, and how it's emerging kind of both as specific products or solutions from vendors and how it integrates with existing WAN strategies from the enterprise IT infrastructure side. Um, so there's, as usual, a lot to cut through in terms of how vendors uh, present their services to the market and what uh, folks on the end user side um, can actually adopt right now and what specific problems they're solving uh, with those solutions. So I thought to help us break all of that down, I would invite back onto the show uh, Jason Ginnert, who is the CTO and co-founder of WAN Dynamics. Um, and like I said, perhaps most importantly, a former guest of the WAN Manager podcast. So welcome back to the show, Jason. Thanks for having me. Excited to be back. Yeah. All right. So even though you've been on here before, um, uh, maybe you could give listeners who might not have caught that episode just a, a brief rundown of uh, what you do over at WAN Dynamics. Yeah, sure. Happy to. So WAN Dynamics, we, we advise organizations on uh, how to adopt uh, modern multi-cloud connectivity models. So, um, you know, usually we're leveraging SD-WAN, SASE, um, you know, SSE, which is, you know, Kind of the, the new term that's come out is you just mm -hmm. stripped down version of, of SASE, uh, a network as a service. Uh, and we do that with our, our, our managed and professional network service offerings. And uh, I'm the co-founder and CTO of Wind Dynamics. Gotcha. So you're, you're properly sort of an MSP, not just offering kind of consulting services on, on what to, to choose. Is that right? Right. We have a little bit of both. I mean, there mm -hmm. are some organizations that that just want to, want, you know, want an assessment of what they have and mm -hmm. some advisement on on which direction they should go and want want to do that themselves. Uh, but most of our customers, are, you know, we're providing a managed service offering for them. Yes. Gotcha. Makes Got sense. It. All right. Well, thanks for joining us again. Um, so as I said, we're, we're going to talk about network as a service. And, and one thing I just I have to get out uh, straight away, since last time we talked, we talked about SASE. I was kind of thinking if, if we can call Secure Access Service Edge SASE, 
Should we be calling network as a service something like nasty or something like that? <laughs> I'm all for it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's see if we can make that happen right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> maybe not. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so so we we've we, you know we've talked a fair bit about uh, network as a service on the show. Um, we've had on you know Dave Ward, who's the CEO CEO of Packet Fabric. Um, I think most folks that would be listening to something called the WAN Manager podcast have a pretty fair idea of what uh, network as a service is. Nevertheless, I always think it's useful to kind of lay out definitions at the start of the show um, so that we can sort of all be on the same page of what we're talking about. So Jason, as as the, you know, the CTO of, of, a, of an, M, an MSP, what is network as a service to you? So, so to me, uh, network as a service is... Um a cloud-based composable network architecture um, that allows you to stitch different enterprise network components um, you know, in a self-service and automated way. So um, you know, with NAS um, or Nasty, whatever, whatever you want to call yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, there you go. What You're if, catching uh, on yeah. already. So. There you go. Yeah. Already integrating it. Uh, so with NAS, one's able to bring together multi-cloud SD-WAN, remote user connectivity, data center, and on-prem networks um, to create, um, a, you know, a, a connectivity hub that an organization can manage to bring all the disparate pieces together. And mm -hmm. there's also, um, you know, a lot in the way of capabilities with many of these platforms to um, integrate security with that. So, you know, as you're tying these different pieces, um, it, you know, into that hub to be able to inspect and filter um, traffic before it kind of crosses those perimeters. So as it comes in right. from SD-WAN, as it comes in from the your, your remote users and, and uh, it goes out to the data center or, or other cloud uh, infrastructure, um, it, it allows you to, to securely segment that and gives you visibility. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of capabilities. You know, we're talking about, you know, an SDN platform, a software-defined networking platform, uh, typically with one of these, these solutions. So there's, there's many uh, different software components usually under, hood, under the hood that help you, uh, you know, e e more easily manage it and gives you more visibility to um, exactly what's happening between uh, all those networks. Mm -hmm. So management and visibility in, in sort of the core of the network, uh, as opposed to the edge of the network where SD-WAN is, is sort of uh, taking over. Uh, does, does that work with your definition? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So, you know, since, since you mentioned this, it kind of brings me to my next question anyway with, with uh, you know, SDN. So, you know, way back in the day... Um, at first, we thought, oh, maybe SDN is something that we should be talking about at, you know, things like the, the WAN Summit and whatnot. It really ended up being more of a carrier technology then. Um, uh, and so I wonder if you could maybe take us through a little bit of, of the underlying components of, of Nasty, right? Um, and and uh, how, from a technological standpoint, right, they, they came together to, you know, sort of make this new service. Because like I said, it was. It seems to me one of the promises of of SDN from when we first, you know, were talking about it. Whatever, maybe even a decade ago. I mean, it's a little long, but close to that, right? Um, now available for actual enterprise services. Uh, is, does that comport with sort of how you uh, see it developing as a service? Yeah, to some degree, definitely. So the you know, I kind of see it in the same way that um, SD WAN was 
a compilation of many technologies we'd had around for for a long mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. just right. repackaged in a new way. And right. um, IPsec and you know, yeah, essentially, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I think I think you know, NASA is very similar in that it's a lot of things we've had around for a long time, just just in, in a new, um, you know, in a new presentation. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, the biggest drivers of it um, uh, for sure are are cloud adoption, um, the desire for organizations mm-hmm. to, to manage their network infrastructure in an automated and self-service way. So, you know, leverage, leveraging those, those SDN um, components that, you know, being able to um, present to users a way to provision their own services, you know, mm-hmm. monitor them, uh, you know, have the visibility that we, we were talking about um, and be able to, um, you know, work with them much the same way that they had with compute and storage um, that's been in, you know, the public cloud for years, you, you know, right. the self-service way that they've been able to work with those things. Um, I think that that's really what what NAS, um, you know, brings to the table. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, to, your, to your point, it, it's, you know, in a lot of the early SDN solutions, it was like, you know, a solution looking for a problem. And now right. it's finally, it's taken a while for, for things to mature to the point where, okay, okay now we can, we can take those um, architectures we started with and start to apply them to solving some of these real world problems, which, um, you know, definitely uh, the, the last few mm-hmm. years, uh, you know, with public cloud adoption and how rapidly we've been kind of forced to move to the public cloud with things like COVID and work from home and, and you know, being, you know, going to school from home and, and all of the things that, that have ushered in that, you know, that this public cloud era, the network yeah. had to catch up. So I think that mm-hmm. that's, that's a huge driver for, for why we are where we are with NAS. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that, you know, when, so, so, you know, again, years ago thinking about, oh, what is, what's the, the sort of, like you said, uh, the, the solution looking for the problem and, Oh, bandwidth on demand. That sounded really cool. When you're in an end-to-end MPLS network, bandwidth on demand ends up not making a whole lot of sense, right? It's especially, you know, your bandwidth on demand at the edge, right, is is something that seems really hard to put into practice in the long run. But here, because we've put all of this traffic into different shapes and patterns in the core network because of cloud adoption, suddenly that becomes, uh, you know, something that's a lot more doable and, and makes a lot more sense from the enterprise demand side. I think that that makes a lot of sense. So having said that, um, I think one of the things we're always trying to nail down, uh, again, kind of both on the show and what we do at Telegeography in, in kind of researching all of this is what does that mean for an actual customer who's out there saying, okay, I, I have some issues with my cloud connectivity or it's expensive or whatever. What is actually out there in terms of network as a service products that someone could go buy today? And, uh, and, and how do you see customers going about sort of adopting that uh, in, in the present market? Yeah, I'll, I'll you know, use some examples of some specific products that we've seen mm-hmm. in the market that some of our customers consume. Um, uh, one that's a good example is Aviatrix. Um, it's pretty popular uh, as a way to really roll your own solution. So the way that their model mm-hmm. works is you host their their transit gateways in, inside of your infrastructure. Um, so you're, you're really licensing their product to build into your own cloud. 
And then uh, they give you, you know, the dashboards and visibility that you need uh, to one manage your, um, you know, your routing uh, in your WAN and, and you know, figure out how the traffic flows uh, and, and, you know, all of your elements, all your, how your, your data is getting from point A to point B. Um, you know, you get to manage that yourselves and, and see all of that, all of that in their dashboard. Um, Alkira is another one. Uh, they're a little bit different in that they, you host it on their stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But some of the cool things that they do is um, they have a number of, uh, you know, uh, VNF hosting keep and integration capabilities. So you can bring your own SD-WAN solution and just host it right inside their environment. Mm -hmm. You can bring your own virtual firewalls and host it in there. So um, that gives you a, a way to kind of compose your own environment, build your own cloud. And the footprint really, uh, you know, for in Alkira's case and potentially in Abiatrix's case, it follows the footprint of the public cloud providers. So wherever mm -hmm. the, you know, the AWSs, the GCPs, the Azures of the world have, um, you know, uh, a cloud presence. So say, you know, US East, one US East two US mm -hmm. US Central, where those public clouds live, um, you're able to spin up this this virtual infrastructure without having anything of your own there. Mm -hmm. um, so a way for you to to tie in that SD WAN remote users um, to host your own you know virtual firewalls dedicated to you, you know not not in in a, in a shared multi tenant way, right. but um, you know you you basically are building out your own your own uh, fabric inside of there. Uh, and speaking of fabric, Packet Fabric, who you right. had Dave Ward on at, at one point, uh, they're they're another good example. Uh, Equinix and Megaport have some some offerings as well, um, and they're all kind of it seems they all have slightly different flavors to them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I I see them as all kind of it, just like again to bring up the example of the the maturation uh, the, the maturing of the SD WAN market and how that kind of came together and then there became kind of table stake features for all of right. the SD WAN platforms after right. a while they all started out very different but started to look a lot more similar towards mm -hmm. you know towards modern day I think the same is true for a lot of these right. these providers they're all going to kind of coalesce on a common set of uh, of features mm -hmm. and functionality. And, um, you know, they're, they're going to have some of those NFB capabilities. They're all going to have the, the, the cloud integration capabilities. Right. Um, and, and, uh, though they'll all each have kind of a, a, a different foundation, they'll, they'll, uh, have similar functionality long-term, I think. Yeah. I was going to say, I guess to that point, perhaps there is a, a slight difference in the sense of all SD-WAN ultimately is an over-the-top service. Whereas there is some difference here, right? That like, you know, sort of Packet Fabric, for example, they have POPs they, and they, they provision wavelengths, whereas there, there's some pure over-the-top players here, right? So that that are, are essentially selling a, a software kind of solution, uh, even if it's, even if there's, you know, instances in the, the uh, but it's ultimately, they're, they're not, not, not all of these providers, even that you mentioned, are, are actually provisioning uh, their own transport services, right? So. That's true. Yeah, so some are leveraging the cloud backbones to get from mm -hmm. point A to point B, um, and some are building out, like you know, like you said, Packet yeah. Fabric, Equinix, Megaport. They're all like building out real pops and real network right. physical switches that you need to you know plug into at their at their data centers to get a an NNI to um, to tie into the network. Basically, um, basically carriers who didn't have the sort of baggage of the legacy technologies, right? You know, so they can just yeah. move directly into this, right? So, yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Well, okay. So, speaking of carriers, then, um, 
how do you think they fit in? I, if I re- recall your sort of uh, uh, background, you did used to work at a carrier a, a while back, right? So um, do, do you think carriers are, are going to try to compete in this space or how are they going to respond to this? Because ultimately it is kind of going to eat away, uh, you know, in one sense, it was cloud and, and SD-WAN that really started eating away in the MPLS business. Uh, but this is still uh, potentially, you know, competing for um, some of, of the, the layer three or even, you know, more MPLS business that, that carriers have right now. Uh, how do you think that uh, they, they're responding or, or what do you see happening there? I, I think that um, the carriers do see that the writing's on the wall and that this is how um, clients are going to want to consume their network right. moving forward. But mm-hmm. I think... I, I also think they have a, a an interesting challenge ahead of them in that there's a lot of legacy infrastructure and systems that that are going to have to be upgraded or right. improved to be able to realize this level of agility. So mm-hmm. um, I think you know probably a good first step for um, many carriers out there, you know, I was to be you know consulting with them, talking to them about about a, a good way to, to to dip your toe in to figure out how all this works. It, it might be to um, to partner with some of these these companies for now mm-hmm. to you know establish um, NNIs with with uh, some of these different network as a service providers and be able to and stitch things together with APIs so that they could potentially have a you know a marketplace of connectivity that they could present to their customers with a portal uh, and then they could be able to you know drag and drop or create um, cross connects to get right. back into that service and then have the, the APIs actually provision that service, uh, you know, with, with the network as a service provider. But I do think long-term the carriers are going to have to make some improvements to their infrastructure, uh, modernize it a bit um, and, and really leverage more of a, um, an automated network architecture to support it. So the whole software defined nature and applying that to um, their actual network, um, the connectivity they provide, and not building these, you know, like these handmade snowflakes that that a lot of service providers have done up right. till now, which I know right. coming from the world I came from, you know, our, our network was largely configured and managed by hand by CLI. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I know that, that, you know, yeah. now, nowadays it's probably getting to be more automated and, and, mm-hmm. you know, the OSS, BSS systems are, are tying right in uh, right. to that infrastructure to program things. But, um, you know, I think this type of model might be, you know, even a little, little more dynamic than some of those, those traditional systems can handle. So I think it'll take a little while to get there, but I, I think mm-hmm. it'll, you'll see a, a transition start to happen over time here. Yeah. And there's, there's a commercial sea change that has to happen as well, right? So that's one of the main points here isn't just the, the underlying technology, but are you willing to bill customers on a, on an hourly versus a, you know, monthly or annual kind of a contractual basis? I think that cultural change might just be part of it uh, beyond the, the technological changes, right? So Definitely. And I'd heard, actually, this this takes me back to, I don't know if you remember Time Warner Telecom, but they had mm-hmm. this inter- interesting product back in the day that where you could, you know, kind of like you talked about, you could turn up and down the bandwidth that you had on the WAN at certain right, locations, right. you know, uh, with, with their portal. But they had the concept of a, of a megabit hour, like kind of a kilowatt yeah. hour, but, yeah. but mm-hmm. they had like, you know, you could actually bill by, you know, any usage, um, you know, in a usage way um, across the WAN. And I could see something like that, you know, adopt, they would have to adopt to that, you know, figure out how to, 
how to actually manage and bill for that. I don't know if it's, mm -hmm. you know, I, I've dealt with, with burstable situations where it's like based on a 95th percentile, right. you know, um, burstable billing. Um, but yeah, you're right. They, the backend systems are going to have to be able to uh, adapt and, and manage and work with that and, and accommodate things like billing by the megabit hour. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's all one thing to have, you know, OS, OSS, BSS set up, you know, but then just your sales teams have to think of this stuff in, in an entirely different kind of way than if, if you're used to, say, you know, particularly the, the large carriers who are working with, you know, very large multinational Fortune 1000 types that are, are accustomed to setting up a, a, you know, a WAN contract for three to five years. A big difference to, to do the kinds of things that, that we've heard about the, the mega ports and the packet fabrics of the world doing within the confines of, of, of an, an engagement like that when you, you know, you might have uh, from, from your ILEC, uh, you know, a dozen team members that work for them sitting in your offices or I guess that doesn't happen much anymore, but yeah, you know, um, uh, you know, being a part of the IT infrastructure team and all those kinds of things. I think that that whole world doesn't seem super well adapted to to this kind of model. And I think we'll probably have to make some changes there just culturally. So yeah, we'll see. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you know, using subscription and consumption based models is, is, is quite, you know, quite a thing to have to adapt to. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, as those things come up, especially for the, the cloud providers. So the, 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 um, you know, network as a service providers that are building their infrastructure on cloud. I mean, they, they kind of don't have a choice. They, they mm -hmm. they're actually consuming it. Um, on a subscription model or on a usage-based right. model, so that they're going to, have to pass that along mm -hmm. um, to mm -hmm. to their customers, and yeah, well, that prepares the enterprise too, right? Because they've now become used to consuming compute and software on this model, and so the the IT team is you know ready for that for network, perhaps you know. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely there might be some. Uh, shockers of bills to once they get you know, dip their toe in and get started but i think yeah, a lot of yeah. these a lot of these guys have have a kind of try before you buy model so you can you right. know get in try it out and then mm -hmm. the, once the rubber hits the road you actually start to put real traffic on it then yeah but no i mean but you highlighted i think a very real concern we've heard from from the end user side is of course I don't want to present to my bosses like a wildly unexpected bill. That's what's nice about the three to five year contract. We send that to the CFO for in. approval and it's done. Right. You know what I mean? So, so, but uh, you know, I, I think, you know, th that'll be on sort of the, the NAS providers to um, do, you know, just like you say, kind of uh, give it a try, understand what impact different, uh, you know, sort of traffic happenings exigencies as they would put it in the contract, you know, might, might, uh, you know, impact you in, in that sense. Right. So I think, um, it's just a matter of knowing what's, what's going on ahead of time. Certainly. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah so, um, I want to talk about SD WAN a little bit, uh, next. Um, I, I uh, from, from my perspective, you know, NAS is definitely for the most part, a, a kind of middle mile solution, right? I did little air quotes there for our audio listeners here, so that <laughs> um, uh, just so you know. Uh, but um, I, I think clearly it impacts the edge decisions that you're making. Um, obviously, specifically SD WAN and also SASE. How do you see sort of the in, the integration of some of these uh, NAS tools with with the changes we're making in SD WAN and SASE at the edge? I think it's going to give um, organizations more geographic flexibility for integrating um, SD-WAN and SASE. So, you know, if you've got a global network 
and you're trying to figure out how to tie in, you know, the SD-WAN regions, being able to integrate those and, and mm -hmm. on-ramp them to, into the cloud network or to provide, um, you know, the, the secure access that you need. So if you say want to have uh, an internet gateway um, locally, regionally, um, you could, you know, with some of these solutions deploy, potentially deploy your own, you know, put your own virtual firewall right into that, that um, you know, NAS infrastructure, um, attach all of your, you know, bring in and backhaul of your, your SD-WAN traffic from that region and have it flow through that, that, that firewall gateway. Um, mm -hmm. Also the capabilities for, for, you know, remote access users. So I think, you know, you're going to see an evolution of SD-WAN to, to go outside of just, you know, the branch conversation and right. to, you know, the, the branch of one, as they say, for, so remote right. users being able to leverage SD-WAN for improving performance, but then being able to, to kind of, craft things in a way that fits um, your use case, you know, your organization, if you've got a, a large network and you need to manage it uh, up till now, you've had to um, kind of de depend on the vendor that you've gone with to support that and, and, um, and build that out for you. Mm -hmm. um, but now you'll be able to kind of compose your own, you know, build your, choose your SD-WAN provider, choose your security provider, your remote mm -hmm. access, stitch these mm -hmm. things together, you know, in a cloud instance somewhere. And, um, and then also tie in your, your cloud connectivity, your data center connectivity. Uh, if you've got, you know, headquarters, headquarters that you need to get back to just bring all that place uh, in, be able to create those hubs on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think that's the key is, is not having to depend on, um, you know, an SD-WAN or SASE provider to, to facilitate those gateways for you. You'll be able to compose and, and tie them in yourself. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that's, that's part of where someone like WAN Dynamics comes in as well, right? Is sort of, sort of helping, uh, not, not as the term of art, but helping orchestrate all of that in a general sense, right? You know, so, yes. Yeah, 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 you got it. Yeah, we, we help them plan out, okay, here's where your locations are based. Here's where we think, you know, uh, as a central point, um, we should be backhauling your traffic to, and it should be egressing that private network to get to the internet. And then, you know, vice versa, the traffic coming back, remote users, et cetera, helping plan mm -hmm. that. Yeah, that's a lot of what we do. Yeah, so so kind of falling right up on that, maybe um, you could sort of take me through a little bit more about one of those integrations with a customer, like uh, you know, sort of, uh, especially let's say someone's approaching you and and they're like, okay, I, I know I need to leave behind my mostly MPLS environment. I, I'm still maybe breaking out my internet traffic centrally. I don't want to do that anymore for obvious reasons. How do you approach? Um, you know, kind of uh, working through one of those transformations with that whole integration of mine of, of you know, uh, from from the SD-WAN to the, uh, you know, various uh, nasty kind of uh, uh, services available out there. Um, uh, what, what does that process look like for a typical customer, maybe? Um, first, it's you know, establishing an, uh, um, an inventory of uh, the network, how it's laid out today, the mm -hmm. you know, service contracts they have with, with which providers, what types of services they're, um, they're buying from a connectivity standpoint, um, f figuring out the applications they're running. Um, so identifying each of those apps, where those apps live, whether or not, you know, this is an important one too, just because those apps are there today doesn't mean they 
will be tomorrow. There's right. so many IT teams that are, that already have a a cloud migration plan in flight. Mm -hmm. So don't assume that just because things are here today that they don't have plans to move it elsewhere. And right. some of that might be outside their control. It could be, you know, a software vendor that says, nope, we're not doing on-prem anymore. You got to buy our as a service offering. That's the only option for, re you know, renewing um, the service contract with or the software contract yeah, with us. They don't, they, they don't want to ship you little, uh, you know, 12 digit ID numbers to type in anywhere. <laughs> That's right. Or op optical drives or something like that. Right? And, yeah. and, and they want that yeah. recurring, you know, that right. nice recurring yeah. business model. Yeah. Yes, right? as, recurring revenue is king. So. As a service is a good, uh, good business to be in definitely. So yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, you know, identifying those things, making sure that they were kind of building a three to five year plan for where, um, not only where applications are now, but where they're going to be mm -hmm. and then um you know also where are the users at are you mostly right. remote now you know post-covid are you are they coming back to the office what is the strategy for how users are going to connect to um you know all all of your applications and services on the network and then taking those factors and and building a, a comprehensive plan and and then yeah. you know th there's some customers we found hey you know what MPLS is a perfectly good fit. They're a small regional right. company. They, they're, you know, a, a bunch of call centers that are tie in, tied in in a, a, a tight region. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the model that they're using still works for them. I mean, that's, right. that's a, a, an outside use case and, and kind of rare to find that. But mm -hmm. um, there is still, you know, call for, uh, for MPLS in the underlay, especially for applications like, you know, when someone's got a lot of voice traffic. Right. Um, we still, we still yeah. recommend that. Yeah, for sure. The class of service becomes important. Exactly. Plus, you, you mentioned most of your customers tend to be kind of domestic U.S. or, or you know, if, if you're in if you're in only in the U.S. and Canada, say the, the MPLS uh, sort of story is, is pretty different than if you're dealing with the variability of MPLS pricing, uh, you know, across like 50 countries or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. And also having to stitch those together somehow, you know, I mean, the yeah. capabilities yeah. become become, um, you know, so much easier with NAS solutions because you can have, a, a you know, um, you know, a, a centralized a hub to yeah. aggregate that connectivity in a region and then, and then be able to, you know, build out transport. So that's, you know, all part of that, that, that conversation. But yeah, the, the, those are the, the steps that we typically take with a customer. Um, let's do an inventory of what you got. Um, what are your applications today? What are they going to look like in the next three to five years? And, and how do your users connect to those applications? And then we, we craft something for them based on those, mm -hmm. those items. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose, especially, bring in what we talked about last time, which has developed a lot since I think we talked about it, but the, the sassy component too of, of, you know, sort of for those who aren't maybe sticking with the, the MPLS kind of solution, right. That um, their security posture is probably going to change a lot. And that has to be involved in, in this decision-making process as well. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. They evaluate if zero trust is a, is an option. Uh, well, mm -hmm. it, it's always an option. It's always a recommendation to, to right. adopt zero trust models, whether or not um, they actually can depends on the organization and, you know, mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, whether, whether they, they have the, I guess the, the maturity with their users to be able to adopt a model like that, but cause it can be sometimes disruptive to the workforce, but, um, mm -hmm. but I'll always make recommendations to, to look at, at zero trust. Yeah. Well, especially you mentioned with, you know, remote workers and 
I mean, well, first of all, that that decision's probably really hard for a lot of IT infrastructure teams because they're not a part of that decision necessarily. And so, um, you know, figuring out, trying to read the tea leaves on on what happens there and, and which branch offices are going to stay open. And that's not going to match necessarily the, the transport, uh, you know, sort of contracts that you have in place perfectly and all that. I imagine it's it's ever more complicated. And then having to push a new security policy out to a bunch of people um, uh, not in offices, I, I imagine it's going to be a little bit of a nightmare for some folks as well. So, yeah. It is challenging. I'm seeing, you know, seeing a lot of um, new solutions that that are tackling that. Obviously, w- with how COVID has changed things, there are a lot of um, your product develop. There's a lot of product development happening inside of uh, network vendors to solve mm-hmm. those problems yeah. um, in a you know more creative way. Um, like I said, I, I see SD WAN getting integrated with the entire WAN. You know, the whole WAN. Um, right. you know, including remote users. I see a lot of, a lot more um, security integrations and pushing the, the security to the edge as far as possible, as close to the user as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really see, um, yeah, a, a, a wholesale change of how, how the, uh, the WAN network is going to operate long-term um, yeah. mass being a part of it. And, and yeah, I really see that being a, a fundamental piece of how to aggregate that connectivity for um, for those users, whether they're they're remote, you know, uh, a branch of one, or if they're you know a branch mm-hmm. office, I still see a lot of organizations figuring that out. Though I mean, between right. you know the the actual uh, leases they have on office space and whether or not they're going to renew those leases, mm-hmm. um, and you know a lot of a lot of pushback has come too when when they say, okay, you know. Um, you know, COVID's letting up, it's time to come back to the office. And some, you know, uh, some of those, some of those workers are saying, no, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I've gotten used to this. I mm-hmm. want to stick with it. Um, so even though that, you know, I got two hours of my day back and I'm not going to give that up again. I, I'm right? not yeah. giving that up again. And yeah. you, know, you get the, the great resignation happening where right. a lot of people are realizing the power they have mm-hmm. uh, collectively to go out and you find a, a you know, a new gig. Um, so that's that's changing even the the plans that some of our customers have told us right. like oh this is the plan we're going back to the office and then they'll, mm-hmm. you know a couple you know two three months later wait a minute maybe not <laughs> because right. it didn't fly too well so um, yeah there's a lot of variability there's a, there's a lot of um, uh, of different ideas out there but I think the one key thing to keep in mind and what makes Nest so important is that you can change things uh, on the fly. So when, you know, Mm -hmm. when you, when your, your plan changes, you have a flexible infrastructure that um, just kind of rolls with those changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so very much on that note, I thought, I thought the the way I wanted to kind of wrap up is, is to explore that a little bit deeper looking forward now is that with, with all of these things, I, I, I think there's going to be persistent remote work. So branch offices of one, right. All the SD WAN, uh, you know, all the big SD WAN players have responded to that with with you know software and whatnot that can be pushed out to all of those folks. Uh, the branch offices and and uh, and you know official sites that still do exist are moving to internet. Sometimes very much just even sourced from like local ISPs and stuff like that, and then. You know, getting onto the cloud becomes this uh, sort of you know SDN powered kind of on-demand uh, thing again through in many cases like over-the-top kind of stuff. Or um, is the WAN 
disappearing is, is, you know, when I, when I sort of, you know, we have interns every summer and and we get new hires and I do my little, like, this is what a WAN is session. It's it's always so straightforward. You start out with, okay, well, you, you know what a LAN is. Maybe you have gamer friends who had a LAN party and this is, you know, the, is that, that, that's kind of disappearing in a way, right. For something that sits on top of a, of a physical layer that is, is just, you know, dumb pipes in a way. Right. So it's, what uh, what what in many ways uh, the carriers have feared for a long time? Do you, do you think that is is coming to fruition? And and if so, what does that kind of mean for the the IT infrastructure team on the end user side? I don't think the private WAN is going to disappear altogether. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that it, you know um, it will be still required for some of those outside use cases, like we talked about, right. call centers, somebody who has um, you know requirements as far as performance goes. Uh, but I, you know, in how applications are shifting, uh, and they, they are, you know, a little bit more adapted to internet connectivity. I do see, you know, a lot of applications moving to internet-based mm-hmm. connectivity versus mm-hmm. the private LAN. That said, I, I do think that there still be, you know, dynamic private overlays that you can build over top of that. So, you right. know, so in the terms of a private dedicated WAN, maybe not, but a, a private WAN that's th- that presents itself, it, you know, in an overlay over top of, um, so, so of a, a virtual system. private WAN, if you will, right? Exactly, so, yeah, a virtual yeah, yeah. private WAN. Yeah, th- I think that that's the way things are going to uh, uh, move forward, and um, you know, I think that this software-defined world, the software-defined network infrastructure, um, what is fundamentally going to change is the way that that organizations procure and consume connectivity between users, their offices, you know, data center and cloud. Um, it's not, so you're not going to be, you know, calling up your, your, your telco sales guy to, you know, say, send that contract over. I'm going to sign it, wait for that to get processed. I'll wait a you know, firm order commitment date, you know, slogging through the, the provisioning process and, and waiting three to four months uh, to get something mm-hmm. turned up. I, I see a, 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 a a day where a customer will go into a portal, um, they'll they'll request a, a type of service right through that portal. Um, it'll be on demand, and it, they'll have the option to pick. Okay, this is the level of SLA I'm working. Uh, I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. This is the timing mm-hmm. I require, um, and these are the performance requirements of what I'm looking at. And then they'll you know kind of pick and choose based on on that criteria. Um, you know through through that portal. Okay, here's here's the type of service that that uh, that we think you'll need based on on the criteria you're setting. So, right. you know, for IT infrastructure teams, um, that means, you know, faster deployments, more flexibility, um, greater visibility into, you know, the, the world of connectivity that they manage. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it really gives them, and, an, you know, I'll bring it back around to, the, the, you know, talking about how um, IT teams manage public cloud. It'll look more like that. They'll have a marketplace to select you know, network services that they're looking for, um, be able to compose that in a way that works for their organization, both you know geographically and you know from from a, a technical engineering perspective, what works the best from a latency perspective. Obviously, lowering the latency that that you know as low as you can on all of these services and tying them all together, being able to kind of stitch that together and make the choices. Um, to do that, um, you know, in, a, in an agile, um, you know, self-service environment, I think that that's where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, of course, my my caveat to, to that sort of future world is always that, um, yeah, certainly 
cloud services go down sometimes, but it's, you know, some, some things happened uh, maybe physically at a data center. That's really rare. Maybe some routing tables got messed up. People dig <laughs> and, and break, uh, you know, access loops all the time, right? So there's, there's always going to be a world where you're going to have to open a trouble ticket with somebody and, and, you know, sort of knowing who that is, ultimately, there's still going to be some amount of uh, kind of boots on the ground involved at, at the, at, certainly at the, the, you know, at edge kind of uh, level, but. Um, yeah, but that's never going to go away. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. all, we're always going to have that. I, th I think that the demands of making that, you know, um, go faster to, to, um, uh, to be able to provision those services more quickly and the, the impact of, you know, 5g low earth orbit mm -hmm. satellite, that'll, yeah. I think those yeah. things are going to impact, you know, how quickly we're able to turn up services and get, get things activated moving forward. But yeah, um, big time. I mean, that, that, that both of those things could be, uh, seriously disruptive, uh, to even what I just mentioned, right. Is that like, if if you can uh, you know um, get access to a combination of five G and Leo, say, uh, then there is no more digging, right? So that's that both from a provisioning standpoint and from an outages standpoint, uh, in, in that that may kind of disappear eventually. We'll see how that works out. Or something we're watching, I can tell you that certainly keenly. So yeah. I think based on my experiences with, I have Starlink here at home. Uh, it, it's secondary to my, my I have a cable service and right. you know, I'm really curious about it. And I had a 4g backup and I'm figuring, yeah, let's, let's give Starlink yeah. Yeah. a shot. I will tell, uh, tell you based on my experience with Starlink so far, um, they don't really have much to worry about for a little while. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, it's yeah, definitely, sure. yeah. you know, has its issues. It has its challenges today. Uh, can't speak mm -hmm. much to 5G. I haven't really um, used it. It's not, you know, that's, I think, the biggest challenge with 5G is, yeah. is density right now. You know, yeah, you there's not really a lot of fixed 5G uh, subscriptions available out there. It's still uh, mobile technology for the most part, right? So, like, but, but it's, it's probably coming. You're right. The, the tower density has to increase greatly for, and then, and then they need to come up with, fixed plans and all this is a whole, we could, we could do a whole podcast just on alternative. Uh, um, but, you know, there's also the, you know, beyond Starlink and Kuiper, there's other startups that have, you know, sort of like uh, plans to be live in like 2028 and stuff, right. You know, so kind of depends on funding happens for all of those, uh, you know, how, how that all works out, but you know, there, there's a potential for a, a very different world. We'll see if it comes to, to fruition or not, I think so. Yeah, but to bring it back to your point on the private WAN, mm -hmm. I don't think it's it's yeah. it's not going to go away that quickly. I mean, yeah. um, I have a number of customers that that are you know are of the mind my MPLS from my cold dead hands. You know, like yeah. they're not yeah. they're not they're not getting off it. They're yeah. still they're yeah. still they're still feel comfortable using it, mm -hmm. and it still suits the applications that they have. You know, mm -hmm. there's right. still there's still application for it for sure. Yeah, and there's some there's some like industries where that's going to make sense for a, a lot longer that have different, you know, security or even like reporting kind of concerns, like, you know, maybe in the healthcare industry, we've seen a few folks indicate that like, Oh, you know, um, I have no, or, or other conservative verticals, you know, like finance or whatever that aren't going to jump into the, the wilds of the internet, even with all the, you know, sort of um, uh, over the top assurances that, uh, will be slower. Um, and, you know, for that matter, there might be some applications that just never let go. And uh, I, I'm sure you've seen the same thing, but I, I've seen a lot of, um, you know, end users who are st still have some on-prem on data centers and have no 
you know, intention of turning them down at this point for various reasons, you know, so even if it's a part of a big, you know, sort of multi-cloud strategy. Um, so for an on-prem data center, certainly uh, uh, MPLS still makes a lot of sense or, or at least private lines in some cases, right? So, yeah. yeah I hate to say it, it's usually because there's a mainframe in it, but I see, <laughs> like see, see, it's like, yeah, <laughs> the, there's, there's like one guy who knows how it works. <laughs> just, yeah, don't so. touch it. Don't, don't yeah. go to the MPLS, leave the mainframe alone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right, well, Jason, this was super fun. Thank you so much. Um, be, before we go, though, I uh, want to make sure folks know how to reach you. Um, uh, where, where can anybody find you? Good. Um, probably best place, LinkedIn. Just look for Jason yeah. Ginnert, G-I-N-T-E-R-T. And then uh, I'm also on on Twitter. I'm at Bits and Flight. Uh, nice. Also, bitsandflight.com. That's uh, my personal blog. So mm -hmm. uh, those are all good places to catch up with me. And and in person, I know unfortunately you can't make it to the to the New York WAN Summit. But uh, any any events coming up for you where folks might be able to meet up with you? Um, I I, mean, I will be attending uh, Networking Field Day twenty eight coming up. So I would encourage okay. folks to 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 tune into that. That's uh, May second through fourth. If this comes out before then, I guess it might not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, I think this should be out. Um, well, let's see, May second. That's a Monday, isn't it? Yeah, this probably yeah. Maybe not, but, but maybe they saw you there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So, so um, other events coming up. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm still ramping up on events right now. So I, I'm really bummed to miss the Wayne Summit. It just didn't, yeah, the timing just know, didn't line a, up for me. You know, that's the way it goes. But hopefully, you know, hopefully this is the last year of weirdness and and things get back to their normal schedule. It's it's also an, an occurring at the exact same time as the IT Expo, which is something that I would have gone to if I weren't going to the, the WAN Summit in New York, you know. So, um, you know, I think everything will start to get uh, put across the calendar in the more even distributions like they were uh, pre-March 2020 eventually here. But uh, it's kind of a... a the wilds right now figuring out how to how to get everything going ramped up again so yeah definitely know, I've baby seen steps yeah All right <laughs> excellent well thanks so much it was great talking to you again you too greg thanks for having me thanks for listening the wind manager podcast comes from the team at telegeography it's edited and produced by jane miller and it's hosted by me greg bryan i also wrote the theme song that you're listening to right now to learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com. Or if you want to get right into more WAN content like you hear on the show, you can visit telegeography's WAN forum at wanforum.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes over there, WAN manager survey data, and extra analysis pieces. That's all for now. So until next time, WAN enthusiasts.